Project A Podcast. Hi, I'm Florian. I'm the uh, host of today's podcast. I'm um, a founding partner here at Project A Ventures and I very much welcome Christian Schneider-Sickert, the CEO and founder of Liquid. Hi, hi, hi Christian. Hi. Yeah. And as a starter, could you just explain to us what, what you guys are doing? I mean, what's, what's the mission Liquid is on? Sure. So Liquid is a finance company, as most of you uh, hopefully know. Um, our mission is to level the playing field for the entrepreneurs, the uh, decision makers, the, the creators and makers that, that you know, we really see driving um, our uh, society by making accessible to them investment opportunities that were so far largely not accessible to them. And so our core belief is that um, there are some professional investors, some institutional investors uh, who we call the smart money, um, endowment funds and so on, that have for many, many years invested in a much more professional and ultimately much more profitable uh, way than, than most um, traditional retail investors have done. And um, what we try and do is really take not just these smart money investors' philosophy, but actually the very same investment opportunities that they invest in and make them accessible to wider audience. So our target market are um, people that are squarely between retail, classic retail investors on the one hand and the more traditional private banking or maybe family office clients on the other. So they would have between 100,000 and 2, 3 million in investable assets. But most importantly, there are um, people that um, all of us know. They are, you know, your um, successful entrepreneur, your um, successful lawyer, your trusted doctors. So, you know, about 15 to 20 percent of the population here in Germany who we believe are not currently being served by um, the existing uh, financial services industry. And, you know, that's the target market that we focus on. And what we want to do is... Um, make them be as successful in their financial affairs as they are in pretty much every other part of their lives. Okay, I mean, since the audience here probably is not, or at least in part, not that familiar with the industry, I mean, can you tell us a little bit or explain a little bit how much money you would need to be customer uh, or eligible for a traditional private bank? Sure. Um, so with private banks, I mean, obviously ranges, but you know, normally you would say, It starts at one or two million euros, but it goes much, much higher in, in other areas. So, you know, what we offer, and maybe we can talk a little bit about it later, is we offer um, wealth management, but we also offer access to um, um, private markets, which is venture capital, private equity, and so on, in, in a very um, professionally diversified way. And in order to invest in those areas in the same way that we invest in those areas, you would be looking at... 10, 20, 30 million uh, more uh, or more in, in minimum uh, tickets. And, you know, we take that right down to 100 or 200,000 euros, depending on the regulatory requirements. So, you know, it's quite a, it's quite a big gap that we are, uh, that, that we're filling there because so far it's always taken, at least in venture or private equity, it's always taken tens of millions to really invest properly in those areas. And and why is it so important to invest in, in private markets? I mean, probably we should we should stay here a little bit. I mean, sure. uh, can you can you talk a little bit about what what the the, the contribution of uh, especially the private markets is with, you know, the most successful and most professional investors in uh, in the world, sure. basically. Sure. Yeah. So we, as, as I as I mentioned, so you know, we we call those investors the smart money. We believe that they follow certain investment principles that um, you know should also be. Uh, 
used and, and relied on by by pretty much everybody else to the extent that they can. And, you know, those investment principles are on the one hand um, based on the fact that they invest very strategically. So they try and sort of exclude um, the emotional overreactions that I think we can all be prone to when it comes to money. But, you know, one other very important difference is, is that they um, that they invest in different asset classes. So, um, you know, most Germans would invest predominantly in cash, maybe have a um, little bit of a, of a capital markets allocation, probably relatively small compared to other European countries. Um, so, um, you know, smart money investors, endowment funds or, or family offices would allocate their money quite differently. So obviously they also have cash for whatever needs they have, but, you know, they would um, have a big chunk in the capital markets. And then on top of that, they would have a big allocation, 25, some as high as 40% of their overall wealth in these longer term illiquid asset classes like uh, private equity and, and venture capital. And it's actually that allocation that really explains a um, large chunk of the performance delta that you see, in betwe see between these professional investors and um, retail investors on, on, on the other hand. And I think what's really important to point that out, and I think, I mean, I'm, I'm working in the industry and I, I see it kind of firsthand, and I think a lot of people don't really understand the direct impact of that because you might argue, ah, who, who cares whether you have like two, three, four, five percent more interest per year? I mean, that's nice, but what's really the impact? Mm -hmm. But I think if you look at, you know, uh, investors like the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan or or CALPERS, which is uh, the pension fund of the Californian mm -hmm. um, police, and, police and firemen, um, it really shows. I mean, these guys uh, have a higher, like, for example, the teachers in Ontario have the highest pension of all teachers in Ontario, uh, in, in, in Canada, yeah, because uh, um, of the of the overperformance or the relative overperformance of Ontario Teachers Pension Plan vis-a-vis um, uh, -vis all other Canadian yeah. uh, pension plans. And I think it, it, and it has a direct impact on, on their uh, living standard of living yeah and i think yeah, that's if you, what if you go if you go right to the other end of the spectrum you look at you look at the situation in germany and you know germany is interesting because it is obviously comparatively um income rich you know if you compare it to a lot of other european countries but then when you look at when you look at average household wealth in germany it's actually way below the european average and you know that is down to um largely down to the way that that people invest both you know how they invest directly so the decisions they make you know with their own money but obviously also how the institutions that they pay their pension contributions into and so on how they invest in turn and so um you know it, it does have a real cost and you're right i mean it's a discussion we often have with clients you know half a percent one percent a year doesn't sound like much but you know you do that over 20 30 years and you really start to see you really start to see the difference so you know it's always hard when you have a minimum um investment threshold like we do we're currently starting at a hundred thousand um you know which has its own reasons which i can go into but it's always hard to talk about democratization in in, in sort of um, unqualified terms but uh, you know it is it is democratization for a large chunk of the population you know our target group is about 15 to 20 percent of the of the population and you know what we're allowing them to do and what we're setting out to to help them to do is to um Uh, uh, you know, not fall into that trap of, um, you know, saving every year and then, you know, not letting that money work for them. So, you know, we really believe that there's a, um, there's a sort of societal element to what we do as well. 
Mm, yeah, definitely. I mean that um, um, definitely sounds like a, a very attractive field to to work in. Can you talk a little bit about uh, uh, the the target? I mean, you talked about like the target segment. Uh, right now, you're predominantly focusing on Germany, right? I mean, is there any right. plans to to go international on on your European uh, scale? Absolutely. I mean, I think we we see that our target group exists across Europe. So. Um, You know, you have them as much in Italy or in Spain as in, in Holland as you have them here. Mm -hmm. uh, we also believe that the um, problem that we're solving exists in a lot of European markets. So, you know, it's a problem of access. So people do not have the opportunity to invest in the kind of opportunities they invest with us. It's also um, a challenge of conflict of interest. I mean, there's still, and not everybody knows this, but... In the finance industry, there's still a sort of slightly um, uh, unpleasant focus on uh, the interests of the institution as opposed to the interests of the of, of, of the clients. And, you know, that is something that a professional investor, smart money investor would never accept. So a lot of the sort of nasties that uh, individual investors put up with in terms of hidden fees and so on just don't exist in the professional field. And, you know, and then and, 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 and then and then. Um, You know, the European regulation, which is um, advancing quite um, well in finance, does make it increasingly possible to, you know, actually construct an offer in, in one European market and then to transport it into others. So for us, Europe is, is very much part of the agenda. Yeah, and I think that's uh, uh, like alignment of interest, as you as you pointed out earlier. I think that's one of the key points. I mean, in venture capital, that's one of if there's one principle you focus on, <laughs> is is really trying to create alignment of interest between yes. you know the founders and the investors, etc. And it's actually quite scary to see, yeah, as as an investor, how much that kind of principle is neglected traditionally in financial services. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of the investment products, and I think that should be uh, like the awareness for that should should definitely increase in the market a lot of the financial products that especially germans have have invested in mm. uh, quite heavily in the past um, are very much commission-driven uh, investment products like a life insurance etc that are not always in the best interest of of, of the clients Absolutely. and i think and i think that's one of the biggest difference apart from the access to certain products uh, between you know your philosophy or the philosophy of of professional wealth management And the the philosophy you'll see in retail uh, financial services, where where it's often rather commission driven than um, than in the best interest of the client. Agree. Yeah. Um, could could we talk a little bit about? I mean, what 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 is kind of uh, the the well performing and thriving employee at at Liquid? How how does it look like? I mean, what kind of people are you looking for? What kind of people are working uh, sure. at Liquid right now? And who are kind of the personalities that that uh, tend to perform well and also thrive? Uh, personally sure. at, at Liquid? Yeah, so look, we, we obviously, um, you know, on the one hand, we're a finance company. On the other hand, we're also an internet company. And I think that, you know, really from the from day one has been reflected in, in our culture, but also in the people that work here. So we have a... Um, you know, meeting, not not a, a, a clash of cultures, but a meeting of quite different cultures because we have a lot of people that come from a sometimes even traditional finance background who worked in banks, who've worked in private equity uh, shops and so on. And then we have um, all the all the backgrounds and all the talents that you would expect to see in an internet-based business from the engineering team to the digital marketing team and so on. And so, you know, I think, you know, those, those two worlds meeting and those two worlds um constructively clashing in order to create something innovative and, and create something different. I mean, that's very much part of our culture. 
<coughs> excuse me. And then in terms of um, who succeeds here, um, you know, we do have four company values that I think might give you a little bit of a guide there because we, we live them, um, I think, every day. Um, you know, one is own it. Um, so ownership of whatever challenge, problem, part of the business um, sits with you, I think is something that, um, you know, is, is a big motivation for a lot of people who work here, but it's also, uh, you know, part of our DNA that we expect our people to, um, to show that ownership at different levels and a different, to a different extent, depending on the experience, obviously. Um, the, the second value is, is furiously curious. So, you know, we, um, we like to challenge the way things have always been done. I mean, in a way, you know, as a fintech, that is what you need to do. I mean, you need to look at, uh, you know, what is, uh, what is not possible um, and, and then see, you know, what can you do in order to make it possible while staying within the regulations and, and the law, of course. Um, the third one sounds totally trite, but sadly in finance isn't, and that is client first. So, you know, we do believe that, um, finance is interesting to the extent that it's one of those industries with the consistently worst net promoter score among clients. And, you know, client focus has definitely not been part of a lot of traditional players' DNA uh, in, in the finance industry. And, you know, we try and do that differently. So we really try and, in everything we do, we try and come from the kind, client problem and, 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 and the client frustration with finance very often and, and try and make that better and solve it. And then uh, the third one, the final one is, is WeQ, uh, which again goes to that point of different people um, of different backgrounds, different nationalities, different seniority levels working together in order to jointly solve a problem. And I think, you know, if people really, if, if those values say something to you and if those values appeal to you, then um, it, it tends to work out, it tends to work out very well here. You know, we do value the sort of entrepreneurial approach that I think even in young companies, tends to disappear relatively quickly and we try and keep it alive and and you know we try and tell people that even in our now in our sixth year you know this is still a very entrepreneurial setup where people who want to make a difference who want to challenge things who want to develop things um uh, for um for, for the future can do very well mm-hmm. yeah and i think one one element is is uh, that that i find always very interesting i mean working in venture capital myself uh, is is also and I think that's that's one of the key things of being close to private markets. I mean, you're working with often or you are in contact with the companies that that will determine the the, the future in a certain way or will shape the future in a certain way. And I think that's a very attractive kind of element also of being as a client uh, or as an employee being involved with private equity or venture capital. Because a lot of, I mean, if you look at who are the most successful companies of today, a lot of those were venture capital financed or private equity financed a few years ago and then turned out to be, uh, you know, true successes right. and, and, and really the shaping companies. And and we don't see any reason why that fundamental kind of mechanism of you know investor-driven financing uh, uh, leading to uh, kind of uh, you know the uh, shaping companies uh, th- that this will change. And I think that's another you know not so much on the return side, but I mean it also leads to good returns. But it's also I think intellectually stimulating and interesting to see, to see how this. Yeah, how this I mean, I, that's one of the reasons why I love those areas, you know, private equity and and, and venture capital because. Uh, you know, you're you're obviously making good returns with your money, but more importantly, I think you're also having a real impact on um, on on the world around you. So, in private equity, you're investing in already successful, often middle-shun companies, and you know you're really really using your engagement 
um, with different expertise, with, 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 with external capital to turn these companies into even bigger successes, to internationalize them, to digitize them, to make them more efficient, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's a very kind of entrepreneurial form of investing. And then obviously in venture, you know, by definition, you're building the next generation of, 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 of industry leaders. And, you know, we believe that is for our client base, um, you know, that's quite because they do come from an environment and from a background where they themselves create something. They might not all be business people. You know, some of them are lawyers, some of them are artists, others, you know, uh, dentists and doctors. But they define themselves um, not through um, the money they make, but through the impact they have on, on the world around them. And that's where private equity, venture capital are just fantastic areas to invest your money because, you know, you are putting your money to work in a very... Um, profitable long-term way but at the same time you know you're doing something very constructive something very productive with it mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about the role of marketing and and, and branding uh, for a company like liquid i mean obviously you talked about it earlier it's it's not a very easy topic i mean uh, you know most germans have a pretty high uh, pretty low level of of uh, financial education mm -hmm. uh, so can you talk a little bit about the the role that that sure. market plays and, and storytelling plays yeah Now, I mean, you, you've mentioned two two things already, but I think it's it's the opportunity that we see is, uh, you know, partly one, of course, of meeting objective client needs. But we also believe there's a huge opportunity in building a go-to brand in our target market, because in our view, that doesn't exist. You know, there are a lot of, you know, good retail uh, retail brands. There's actually a good new, uh, there, there, there's a bunch of good new um, fintech brands um, focused on the on the retail space. But you know, we really see that in the target segment that we are addressing, there's currently no natural go-to uh, place for people who are looking to work with somebody um, uh, to, to um, in, invest their money. So there's a sort of brand building component, which I think is super important. And the other one is storytelling. So, you know, we're, we're in a field that, um, A lot of people perceive as complex. Um, even very smart, very successful people have that kind of yuck factor when it comes to finance. Um, it's probably because finance is not part of the you know, educational curriculum, in, in certainly not in Germany, but also not in a lot of other countries. So um, they, they need somebody to distill something very complex into something more relatable while doing that in a way that is entirely trustworthy. So... Um, You know, that's a challenge, but it's also a huge part of the value that we create. And, you know, I always say that the traditional industry, you know, has arguably always had that, that mantra that only when the client is completely confused has the advisor done his job, right? Because it, it, uh, it basically leaves the client completely dependent on the advisor. We don't think that's the right way to go. So, you know, we don't think you need to explain every integrated intricate detail of what we do on the investment side to the clients because when i go to the dentist i don't need to know exactly what the dentist is doing at the back of my mouth but you know i do uh, i i do want to know um in in big picture terms why is he doing and 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 what's uh, and what's the you know what what's the sort of overall approach that he's taking and that's how we like to communicate so we like to um have a sort of drill down um Uh, approach almost to information sharing. You know, those people that really want to drill down to the detail, they'll get it from us. But more importantly, the big chunk of the client base that does not want to drill down into the last detail has to get the sense that when we talk to them, we explain complicated things in relatable terms. And, um, and, and they often, for the first time, understand what is actually happening with their money. So 
you know, the brand building is important. The storytelling is, is also super important. Mm -hmm. And I mean, basically, what does does marketing uh, or marketing positions at Liquid look like? I mean, what kind of people are you looking for right now? Mm -hmm. How is it also comparable to like a traditional B 2 C company? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're targeting the end customer, mm -hmm. uh, but but is it similar to to a regular kind of e commerce mm -hmm. uh, business? Can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about what kind of people sure. you're looking for? Sure. I mean, it's it's uh, it's similar to a traditional. Um, to any internet business to the extent that we're acquiring our leads through digital channels and we, you know, at least um, 50 plus percent convert them through these digital channels. We also have a sales team, a, a client advisory team that is part of the conversion funnel. But, you know, that part is is, is relatively standard. Where I think we are slightly different um, from most B2C businesses is that, and, and where I think we in some ways operate more like a B2B business is that we have um, relatively long decision cycles. So if people invest 100,000, 200, 300,000 euros, they obviously like to take their time and they should take their time to make that decision. So that feels a little bit more B2B like. And then the other dimension is that um, people need a lot of information before they can make that decision. So these are not kind of impulse buys. These are not, you know, click, click and you're done uh, kind of transactions. So you know people have people go on a journey and and our marketing our marketing philosophy is is um is reflects that 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 journey so you know you you trigger you trigger interest with with digital ads but that's very much just beginning of your again your storytelling your conversation with the client and then you need to progress them through the funnel um step by step you need to share information as as part of that journey and more importantly i think you also need to build trust as part of that journey so you know it's quite a it's quite a multifaceted kind of marketing um, approach it needs people who um, um, think probably a little bit outside of the box um, you know i don't think there's a case of you know a clear handover between the people that um That, that operate the channels and the people that, uh, that that look at the content, they really need to work together because the client, you know, needs to feel that they're going through that going through that journey. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's a very interesting point because I think that's what we see also in other uh, businesses that that you know we are moving away from a very transactional world yeah, mm -hmm. to a more relationship driven mm -hmm. world and i think the mm -hmm. the thing here i mean if you think about it ideally customers are with liquid for five seven ten years plus or Absolutely. even even Absolutely. longer and yeah. and i think that also shows kind of the nature of your relationship you have to have with these clients mm -hmm. yeah i mean you you really have to do something for the client where they where they think they perceive a good service and they get get a good product and you need to get that across and i think the other element of that is and i think that's what we also see Uh, with uh, increasing with the increasing share of b2b businesses and especially like german and european digital ecosystem where you also have this interplay of marketing and then a sales like function mm -hmm. converting mm -hmm. leads into into customers and then crm taking over and, and kind of you know keeping the client alive and ideally happy for for you know uh, years to come and you have an underlying bi uh, function that tries to give you uh, objective uh, kind of data of, of where you stand and i think like having those four elements mm -hmm. and, and or three stages and and, and elements together um, i think that is, is really a key skill set um, for for marketeer uh, going forward Uh, not only a liquid. I mean, hopefully mm -hmm. we, we, we hope that people stay with liquid for for quite some time. But I think it's definitely a skill set that's also uh, relevant at, at at a growing share um, of of companies, uh, regardless of of you know the specific yeah, I, I situation. Totally, I totally agree, and I think it's mm -hmm. it's particularly um, 
I think it's it's quite a forward-looking um, uh, area to to focus your career on as well, because as more and more in the, you've seen a lot of the obvious industries have have already digitized, but I think it's very easy to figure out how many industries are still relatively early in their digitization. I think these are all these are all industries that tend to have these more complex, more multi-stage um, conversion cycles, and I think to that extent, what what you see in finance is. Um, it's different from e-commerce, but it's not unusual. It's not extreme. And I think if you come to terms with, um, you know, how you take um, a potential client by the hand um, and and lead them through the funnel in, in in this kind of setup, I think it's actually a great skill set to have for the future as well. Because I agree with you, it applies to a lot of other industries as well. Mm-hmm. So I think this gave us a, a much better picture of of what you guys do um, as a company and also uh, of what what roles. Are, are like at, at Liquid and what the culture is like at Liquid. So thanks a lot for, for sharing. One more, one more thing to oh, add. Yeah, one, uh, sorry. one more thing to add. Because <laughs> I, I do think it's actually one of the things that makes uh, Liquid an exciting place for a lot of our team. Um, you know, we're a very partner-focused organization. So we work um, quite actively with um, our investors, uh, you know, obviously working with, with many of your team. Uh, but, you know, we also have operational partners that range from, you know, Lufthansa on the marketing side to the um, uh, family office of the princely family of, of, of Liechtenstein, right at the other end of the spectrum. And, you know, a lot of our team um, interact not only with their colleagues here at Liquid, but but also get a lot of impulses. And I think um, experience a lot of learnings in these interactions with these um, partners that we work with. And so, you know, I always hear from members of the team here that that is very much part of the appeal of, of, of being here because, you know, you are... Um, not just purely inwardly focused, but almost in every role, you've always got um, parties on the outside that you're working with on a day-to-day basis, which can be quite interesting and occasionally frustrating, but more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but that that's, I guess, reality of life. But to, to summarize that, so working at Liquid, I mean, you, you're working in an intellectually stimulating environment yeah, at, a, at a product or with a product and service that really makes a different, uh, difference for your client's life. Uh, you, you have aligned interests with them, and I think that's that's great. And and you're working as part of an ecosystem uh, that that continuously challenges you and, and makes you grow and makes the company grow. So I think that that sounds like a very interesting opportunity to me. Yeah, thanks a lot for for sharing this open media insights. Cool. Bye. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating. Thanks, guys.